You are listening to a message from ICS Church. For more information about ICS Church, please visit us online at ics.church or like us on facebook.com slash ICSChurch. So it's been really interesting for me uh, when I had my own child, um, who's Nav, he's the good-looking guy that was playing the guitar today back there, and he was followed nine years later by his sister, Ava. It's been interesting for me to observe the dynamics of siblings. That's always something interesting as an only child. And one thing that I noticed was this, when our son was still young, and he started to learn things. One of the things we taught him to do, as good parents should, when he was about 11 years old, was to learn to wash the dishes. Parents, your kids know how to wash dishes. <laughs> so that's one of the things. When he was about preteen, just before he became a teenager, he learned to wash dishes. And to our surprise, he actually enjoyed it. So much so that uh, eight years later, he's still doing it, even if we don't ask him to do it. Uh, that's, that, that's how much he enjoys it. He says it allows him to think. You know, he plugs his earphones on, and uh, that's his time of, of just me and, and washing dishes. But uh, nine years later, his younger sister was born, and uh, our daughter just turned nine. She'll be turning 10 this year. And this is one of the things I noticed about siblings. When a parent tells usually the eldest to do something, if they're the only ones, they have no choice, right? They have to do it because mom and dad says so. But the moment a sibling is born, a younger brother or a younger sister, and they actually can do what they're being asked to do, what happens? They start to learn a new management skill called delegation, right? And so it's interesting, yesterday, this has been happening for probably the last couple of uh, months, we noticed that our daughter has wised up because when we ask her, uh, when we ask his brother, Nav, to do something, delegation kicks in. And he's like, Ava, go in, do this. And yesterday, when we asked him to do something and he passed it on to Ava, Ava was like, no, 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 Kuya, you're the one asked to do this, you do it. And she walks off with confidence. I'm proud of my daughter. I'm proud of the fact that she knows how to stand up for herself and her rights. I don't know about how Nav feels about that, but uh, definitely, you know, I, that was entertaining for me. That was interesting to observe the dynamics of siblings. And here, here's the truth that, you know, some things that we learn growing up, those with authority have power over us for good or evil, right? Those in authority, whether it's your parent, an older brother or sister, or, you know, people in government, people in school, people in your workplace, your bosses, your employers. And their influence can either be good or for evil. If you hear something long enough said over your life, you actually start to believe it, sometimes even if it's not true. When people say, hey, you know what? You're, you're such a good worker. You're such an excellent worker. You do everything so well. You actually start to believe that. I'm a good worker. I'm a diligent worker, right? You're a good singer. Yeah, you actually start to believe it. Uh, 
Conversely, if people say, you know what? You're the worst. You're not good for anything. That's not a nice thing to hear. But if you hear it said over your life long enough, especially as a young person, you have a tendency to actually start to believe that you're worthless, that you're not good for anything. That's the kind of power that those in authority have over us. And so when we grow up, we actually begin to learn and find out that we actually have the option if we are going to believe certain things that are said to us and over us that define our identity, that determine how we feel about ourselves. And so it's important that when we're beginning to form our identity, that we find the right authority to determine what that is. Do you agree with me? It's important to find that. It's important to find good mentors. It's important to find people who will see the good in you, maybe the not so good, but instead of just magnifying the wrong things, point it out, right? Rebuke, but bring correction as well and help you overcome those wrong things to become better. As Christians, God is our final authority. When Jesus was sent on earth and he called people to follow him, those who became his disciples or followers, Jesus is their final authority. He needs to be the one to determine who we are, what our true identity is, and ultimately how our lifestyle should be led, what we should think, how we should live daily. Jesus needs to be our final authority. He should have the final say about who we are and what we're becoming. And so the question for us today is, if you're a Christian, that needs to be clear. That has to be God. If you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, you're in this room, you're watching online, it's important to determine who that authority is. Why? Because the authority we submit to defines our identity affecting our lifestyle and our environment. The authority we submit to, I'm going to say it again, defines our identity affecting our lifestyle and our environment. If we want to shorten that, we could probably say, you know, who you are affects where you are. Who you are, whether it's something that you formed in yourself or others formed about you, affects where you are in your family, in your workplace, even in church. Your identity has an effect to the environment where you are plugged into. Now, this isn't something new. This is something that people have observed over time, but it's important as followers of Jesus that we again remind ourselves, who again is forming my identity as a young person and maybe even as an older person? Is it my parents? Is it my spouse? Is it my spiritual leader, right? Is it my bosses at work? Who? is it? And if it's not Jesus, then we may need to make some adjustments and changes in some of those things. Jesus understood this. And so when people started to follow him, he began to teach them and speak over them to help shape and remind them and teach them who they are. Matthew, one of his followers who was a government worker, a tax collector, more specifically, recorded 
All of these things that Jesus was teaching and preaching and saying. And in one of the longest sermons that was recorded in any of the Gospels, it's found in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things Jesus says and teaches over those who were listening to him was this. In verse 13 of chapter 5, Jesus tells his listeners, disciples, those who were interested and in the crowd, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now immediately, when we read this, when you heard this, maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, when you say salt, what comes to your mind? The restaurant maybe, right? The little salt shaker that you find on the table in the restaurant, or maybe for those of you who love cooking, you're thinking about the kitchen at home and a salt shaker at home. That's what comes to our mind, right? Now salt we know is a valuable thing. It's been around for thousands of years. Apparently it's been around even in Jesus' time because he talks about it. And it's something when Jesus talks about, the people immediately understood what it was. But let's pause for a minute. Let's just talk about the benefits of salt. You know, it was interesting to me to find that there were so many benefits to salt. I didn't even know this, but I did a search on, uh, online and, and all of these things popped up about the benefits of salt. And so I just picked some of them out uh, specifically from the Reader's Digest, right? Millennials have no idea what that is, but Reader's Digest uh, says these things about salt. It says here that it's, uh, it helps remove wine stains from the carpet. If you accidentally spill wine on the carpet, salt can help remove it. I didn't know that. It's a stain remover. Salt can make coffee taste less bitter. Did you know that? Coffee lovers, a bit bitter, just put a bit of salt. It can help clean your fridge, GJ. It can help clean your fridge. It can sanitize cutting boards. So you cut your meat, you want to be sure that it's sanitary, there's no cross-contamination, rub some salt on that board, hey, that'll sanitize it. It can restore your used punch after cleaning that uh, cutting board, right? It can relieve bee stings. It can relieve bee stings. There's more. It can deodorize your shoes. Yeah, some of us, some of us need that, right? Should have like a, a little bottle of salt right next to where you keep your shoes. It helps deodorize those shoes. It helps disinfect piercings. It can put out grease, fire, right? Because water doesn't do much, but you pour a bucket of salt on grease fire, snuffs it out right away. It's used as a natural mouthwash. Now this is very popular in the Philippines. You got a sore throat, get water, put salt in it, gargle it. My mom told me that, my wife tells me that, and she tells our kids that, right? You know, it's just passed on. It's one of those things. It's a reality. It, it, it keeps cheese from molding. It can chill beverages really fast. Now, th there's a ton of other things, and you can just go on this list, and I just had to stop. I'm like, man, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. And, and so I'm sure during the time of Jesus, there were a lot of things that they knew salt was useful for. But when Jesus mentioned this to his audience, immediately in the audience were fishermen. Peter was one of them. John was one of them. And when Jesus said, you're the salt, 
of the earth. They were like, yeah, I know what salt is. Yeah, we use that. You know, when we catch fish to be sure that they don't go off, become stale right away, you know, we, we, we pack salt onto the fish so they can be preserved. Right in the Philippines, we call that what? Tinapa, right? Or tuyok, right? Dying. So that's familiar to us. That's, that's salt processing. You, you, you pack it up, you preserve it. Um, and, and, and some of them in the audience, maybe, I don't know if, if people like Dr. Luke or somebody in his profession was there, or maybe just some mothers, they're like, yeah, we, we know salt. We use that, you know, when, when somebody uh, has injury, we, we try to use that to, to prevent a spread of disease, right? To prevent decay. Uh, even in mouthwash, if they, and they have sore throat, if there's meat, they understand that salt is used to add seasoning. Right? For those who are cooks, that's probably the most obvious thing there is. So when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, immediately like, what, we're seasoning? We're life preservatives? Like we can preserve life? That's kind of what Jesus was getting at. And he says, you know, when, when salt loses its value, it's pretty useless. It's just thrown out. You can't use it anymore. You can't use it to preserve life. You can't use it to maybe heal uh, diseases. They're, they're, it becomes useless. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you're salt. You're salt. So if we say that we're disciples of Jesus, then this probably applies to us as well. It echoes to us in the 21st century that we are salt. Ask the person beside you. Are you salty? And you're probably like, yeah, you know, I'm sweating right now. If you taste the sweat, it's going to be salty. But aside from that is the deeper meaning. He's saying, are, are you the kind of person that when you're dropped into an environment, you cause it to change? You cause the flavor to change. That when salt is added as an ingredient, it either enhances what that was originally, or it preserves life, or it prevents decay and death. Jesus is saying, this is who you are. If you follow me, this is what you do. As salt of the earth, wherever you are planted on this earth, you should be adding flavor. What kind of flavor? The good kind, <laughs> all right? It's the good kind, a good kind of flavor. When you're added into the environment, you need to be preserving life. If there is death and decay in the world today brought about by sin, the presence of salt, God's presence brings life. We just celebrated the Holy Week last week. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we said, in Jesus there is life. That's what salt does. It prevents decay from coming through. It arrests it, right? And so they understood this. They weren't thinking about table salt. They were thinking about all of these useful things that they were using salt for every day. And yes, we use that. We don't have our own fridge. We don't have a freezer. So of course, immediately, we get some produce. We pack it in salt to make sure that it is preserved for a longer time. It preserves life. It adds flavor. It enhances the environment it's placed in. You know what? Jesus expects this from us today. When he was telling those in the crowd that you are the salt, 
Jesus was in effect saying, you know what? You guys are the one to add flavor to this earth. Where there is death, sin, disease, discouragement, hopelessness. You drop some salty people there who love Jesus. Then life will begin to flow. Then the environment should begin to change. Why? Because Jesus' influence found in the person who follows Jesus is now affecting the environment. Just like that, salt affects food. Jesus doesn't stop there. He's probably thinking, okay, maybe not everybody's a fan of salt in the crowd. And he continues on. He tries to drive his point a little further. And Jesus continues. He says, you are not just salt. You are also light. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Right? It gives light to all in the house. And so, you know what happens? Every now and then, the power goes out. Typhoon season is around the corner. In fact, it seems to have come early this year. They say it's La Nina. So the storms have come early. And so in some places in the Philippines, what happens when the storm comes in? The power goes out. When there's no electricity, there's no power, what happens? What happens in the environment? The first thing you hear is what? Ah! Right? The auntie next door, or the tita next door starts screaming, or the kid next door, brown out. Right? There's no right. And immediately, what happens? It's no longer flashlights. What do you use now? We use phones. Right? You get your phone and you turn on your light. Right? You turn on that light and you say, oh man, I need that light. I need that light because it's dark. Because it's dark. I cannot see anything. And what happens when the power is off, when the light is switched off, where do we gravitate to? Where do we go to? We don't go to the darkness and it's like, oh no, there's no light. Please, let's go to the darkest place in the room. Let's huddle there together. Let's stay warm and safe in the dark together. No, the first thing you want to look for is what? You want to look for the light. The first thing you look for before uh, mobile phones and smartphones is the candle, right? Now last week, um, over, over um, the Holy Week, I went to, to visit relatives that I haven't seen for 15 years <laughs> in Mindoro, on the island of Mindoro, on my dad's side of the family. And um, you know, there are some parts of town that has lights. But there are some parts of town that doesn't have lights. And so I visited my uncle. He had his trusty flashlight with him, man. Everywhere he goes, even during the day, my, my uncle's got that flashlight with him. Because he's ready anytime. While we were there, actually, the electricity went out on our first night. Hey, welcome, <laughs> right? So it's like a welcome greeting. And immediately, the lights went on. Everybody's portable lights, whether it's your mobile phone, your flashlights. And you need that to find your way around. We do this in our homes. If we're having dinner, we're all around the table, the light suddenly goes out, what do we do? We find a candle, right? 
light that candle up, and what do we do with the candle? We don't put it at the corner somewhere, and then we eat together. Where does the candle go? It goes in the most prominent part of the dining table. Probably in the middle, probably as high as we can put it, so that everybody can see what they're eating, and everybody looks a bit more romantic in the candlelight. <laughs> it's like, oh, the ambience is so nice. No, 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 it's brown out, it's hot, it's, right? But it's there, it's prominent. You don't get a light, you know, in darkness and say, quick, let's turn on some light and find the darkest place to put it in. Jesus is saying, that's what you are. Tell the person beside you, you're light. Are you bright? If we are light, Jesus is saying, the natural effect of light is illumination. Illumination. Uh, those of you who watch movies, you know what that is. Right? Those of you who are Minion fans. So, illumination is the effect of that light. And when there's illumination in darkness, unless you're somebody who likes doing things in the dark, <laughs> you are drawn to that light. You want to go to that light so you can see what you're doing so you can be out of danger so you know what's happening around you. The other day I was listening to an interview about somebody who, who, who likes going scuba diving at night. Anybody do that? You go scuba diving at night? I've never been scuba diving. I wanted to do scuba diving. My wife, who I love very much, has not permitted me to because I love her, you know, I want to honor her. But this guy was talking about nighttime scuba diving. And uh, the interviewer was saying, aren't you afraid of sharks? Because that's one, they're already there during the day, but at night? Yeah, but I don't go scuba diving by myself. I go scuba diving at night with a group of people and we have all of these light gears. So when all of these light gears are switched on, there's a circle of light around us, then the sharks don't come, right? They're intimidated by that. But when you go behind somebody and you turn off your light, you actually begin to see the shadows around you. And there are sharks that are there. So somehow, illumination also veers away danger. It casts it away. And Jesus is telling his disciples and his listeners, you guys are light. Because in the midst of darkness, you know what? You're there to shine a light, to illuminate those in darkness so that they can find their way through the lights, so that they can identify the danger that is around them. And in doing so, have their lives preserved. Salt and light. Jesus is saying, this is who we are. This is who we are. Now, I don't know if you believe that. I, I really think that some Christians don't believe this in their heart of hearts. That's why Jesus is directly telling them, this is who you are. My question this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe that you are salt? Do you believe that you are light? No, Pastor Chad, you know, I've done so many things that are wrong. I mean, I don't even know how I can preserve other people's lives. My own life is kind of messy right now. And you're saying that I'm light? I don't know. You know, I'm the kind of person that actually needs more 
more light in my own life. So how can I even shine that to others when there's a lot of darkness in me? And, and there's a danger to that. Those are valid questions. And those are exactly the reasons why Jesus came to this earth. Because there was darkness, there was death, there was decay. And Jesus coming helped to illuminate that and bring life. But even after Jesus had left, you know, that kind of issue was still prevalent. Because Satan isn't just going to sit back and say, you know what, I'm just going to let Jesus mold and encourage his disciples about their identity. No, no, no. He's going to try to do all he can to trip us up, to confuse us, to discourage us, and even to deceive us. In fact, this is so clearly happening in, in the church in Corinth. That's why Paul, in his letter to them, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, for such men, there are people who are coming in who are teaching wrong doctrines. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. There are people who are pretending to be followers of Jesus, but were in fact, Paul says in verse 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Wait, 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 wait. I thought we were light. And now Paul is saying, wait, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light? Yes. Yes, and he uses people, deceived people, false teachers, false prophets to sow false teachings into the church, causing people to doubt the truth of Jesus, who he is, what he came for, his promises. And this was happening in the church of Corinth, and it continues to happen today. There is such a thing as fake light or false light, right? We know that there is natural light. What's natural light? The light that we get from the sun. That's natural light. And you know, in summer in the Philippines, we feel that sun. If it's daytime, we know it's daytime, naturally. But for some reason, some of us decided, I wanna extend my daytime, right? I have an exam tomorrow, so I need fake light. So we switch on the light. We switch on our phones, you know, as a student in the dorm, when the lights go off, you're there with your flashlights reading and studying because you want to prepare. That's fake light. It's useful. But it doesn't give the same thing as a natural light does because the sun gives natural nutrients to us, right? They're actually good benefits of these things. And here Paul is saying, you know what? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And he sows people to try to discourage the church. So we need to be aware and alert of how the devil can possibly deceive us. Words that are spoken over us that form our identity and who we are, the way God created us, if it is not from Jesus, if it is not from the word of God, shouldn't be trusted. There are certain words that have been spoken in some of your lives that tell you that you are worthless, that you are nothing, that you're not going to amount to anything, that there is no hope in your marriage 
that your son will never be restored, that you will never find a good job because you're lazy. And you start to believe it and you're like, man, I'm really worthless. There's no hope in my life, in my marriage, in my family, even in my spiritual walk. And you actually start to believe that. That's the lie from the pit of hell. That's the lie of the devil. He parades as an angel of light, but in the end, it's destruction. Discouragement is what he brings to your life. Paul is saying, hey, you guys need to be aware. Because sometimes they would even use the name of Jesus to manipulate and to sow and teach wrong things and wrong doctrines. So we need to be aware of how these people are. And you know the best thing to know what the real thing is? This is really interesting. Uh, apparently this is something that they teach bankers and bank tellers to do. Right? You know, you know the bills that we give in the bank? There is a certain quality or feel to the notes. And you're a, if you're a bank teller, they train you to tell the difference with some of the feel of the kind of paper that is used. That even if you haven't even put it under the ultraviolet light yet, just by touching the note, you already know, hold on, this feels not like the usual, not like the genuine real thing. And by rechecking it under the violet light, sure enough, there it is. There's no markings. Things are missing here. And you can cross-check it. But from the first touch, they already know. You know how you know what the real thing is? I mean, what fake is? By actually getting to know what the real thing is. When you know what the real thing is, so much better whenever the fake comes along, right away the Holy Spirit throws off the alarm button. And he says, hey, hey, warning, warning. You gotta get clear. You gotta check this with the word. And Jesus is saying, that's what he is. The good thing is, you know what the real light is? John actually tells us. And John quotes Jesus. In John chapter eight, one of Jesus' teaching as well, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if you're saying this morning, you know, I don't have life to give. I don't have light to give. Yes, I agree with you. None of us do. Because like Paul says, we've all sinned and fallen short. But through God's grace, through God's mercy, when we confess our sins, when we surrender to him, you know what happens? Jesus deposits his spirit in us. And when his spirit in us, his light is in us. His life is in us. And so it follows. Wherever God's people is, his presence goes with them. And what is in that presence? Life and light is in that presence. Salt and light is with you, in you, wherever you go. So friend, if you're here this morning saying, man, I don't know how I'm gonna affect my family, my marriage, my workplace. All you need to do is to get closer and dearer and be filled more with God's spirit and God's presence because that's just gonna overflow. That's why Paul was saying, you know, when salt, you, you can't deny the true essence of salt. What's the taste of salt? It's not sweet. It's not sour. What is it? It's salty. That's the essence of salt. What does it do? It preserves life. 
That's what it does. You can't stop it from not preserving life. You cannot stop salt from not changing the environment. You drop it into. It's just going to do that if it is genuine self. What about light? When light is true light, you cannot deny the illumination that it brings. Even in the darkest places, a small candle can illuminate the darkest corners. That's how powerful it is. And Jesus is saying, that's who you are. Come on, tell somebody this morning, your light, your salt. Ask them this question, do you believe it? And if they're not sure, you say, you should. Because Jesus said it. I'm not saying it, right? We're not standing up to ourselves and saying, this is who I am. See, this is the problem when we begin to submit ourselves to false authorities. When we begin to submit ourselves to false lights and we say this is who you are this is what your gender is this is what your preference should be these are the things that you should read these are the things that you should do this is how you should conduct yourself and if we're not careful we're starting to submit ourselves to an authority that is leading us towards destruction you know sin can be pleasurable for a moment but the results can be disastrous in fact the result is death. So I wouldn't even want to play with that. True salt, true light cannot be denied its true qualities. So when you go out of this place and you say, man, Jesus, if I'm really salt, if I'm really light, that promise of restoration of my relationship, I believe it's going to happen. In faith, I'm going to trust in you for those things to happen. You say, how, how is that even going to be possible? How can we allow this to be made possible in our own life? Here in, in chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus finally concludes in his teaching. Jesus says, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Come on, everybody say good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now let's clarify something here. When he's talking about good works, he's not talking about you earning your salvation. He's saying, do the best with the talents and the gifts that you have so that people will be drawn to that. That happens to us, right? When we, somebody, when we see somebody do something really well, what do we do? We're impressed. We're drawn to them. In fact, we even tell them, man, you sang so well. You did that so well, right? You accomplished that task so well. Good job. We're drawn to that. We're attracted to that. Why? Because we saw something excellent that individual was able to do. So it's good to do our best work during exams. No? It's good to do our best work on Sundays. No, it's good to do our best work when? all of the time all of the time because we don't come to church to be salt together i mean we're already salty here right we're gonna have a problem if there's too much right sodium you get sick but it becomes useful if you attach it to something that's decaying if there's lights and you bring all the light together where there's just more light and it's not very useful 
But if you drop light in darkness, then it does its job of illuminating the dark. You know when it's useful to be salt and light? God is saying, it's when you're out there. It's when you're on your own. More than anything else, that is the most important time to be salt and light. That's the most important time to allow life to come through your life. The life that Jesus gives, the wisdom the Spirit gives, the words of encouragement, of affirmation that people around you need to hear about them so that they know that life is overflowing out of you. Hey, it's okay to call people when they make a mistake. Just make sure that you're not just all about rebuking because there are Christians who are just all about rebuke. But there is no correction and there is no love. Jesus is both filled with grace and truth. It's good to speak truth, but make sure that grace is there as well because Jesus is not just one or the other, he is both end. Salt and light, this is who we are. So to become who we are, what do we need to do? If we're still submitted to false authorities, wrong authorities, and authorities that define and determine wrong identities, we need to submit ourselves to who? To Jesus. Who do you submit your mind to? Who do you submit your time to? Who do you submit the stewardship of your finances to? Your relationships, who is it submitted to? Your worship, who is it submitted to? If it is submitted to anything else aside from Jesus, we sang it earlier, Jesus be the center. Unless Jesus is the center, it's gonna be so hard to be salt and light. But once we've determined, yes, Jesus is Lord, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna submit to him. When that is determined in our hearts, you know what's gonna follow next? We need to allow our belief and our behavior to follow and reflect that. Because when we do the good work, it draws attention to us, but then Jesus said, this needs to be deflected so that you give the glory to God. Do good work. It's, that's the I irony of these things, right? Because we're supposed to do good work. Jesus said, do good work. When God created in Genesis, he saw that it was good. I'm thankful that God created things that was excellent, that was good, that was the best. And if we're gonna reflect him in a world of death, decay, destruction, and hopelessness, they need to be able to see, hey, there, is there something good in this world? This is where Christians and disciples need to begin to rise up and say, yes, yes there is. I'm not just gonna give my best on Sundays, but tomorrow, on Monday when I go to work, I'm gonna give my best. I'm gonna be the best accountant in my company because that glorifies God when I apply my talents, my gifts to the best of my abilities. And when people praise me, that is now an opportunity to say, you know what, let me tell you my story. It's because of Jesus. This is my story. This is my story. Why do I do good work? Why do I give my best in the entertainment industry, in politics, in business? Why do I give my best as a homemaker, as a mother, as a father, as a student, as a pastor? It's because I wanna give glory to God. And when we do good work and people praise us, our responsibility is then to be salt, to be light and say glory to God. 
Praise Jesus. It's about him. This is what he did to me. Do you have time? Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my story. And in doing so, life flows out of us. Companies are blessed. Families are blessed. Relationships. Life is restored because we're seeking to give our best, love our best, forgive the best way we know how, apply all our gifts and talents the best way we know how, and because of this, it illuminates what was once dark, what was once confusing, what was once, you know, I don't know which way to go, but you seem to know the way. There seems to be something bright in your life, and I want that. Because no matter how much people love the darkness, if they're really searching for life, it's going to be seen in the light. And that's you, and that's me. And I pray that when you leave today, that every single one of us would know that you are not the negative voices that you hear or what was spoken over you. You are not your failures. That's past. You cannot change the past. But what you do today can change the future. If you would believe and submit yourself to the authority. The authority you submit to defines your identity, affecting your lifestyle and your environment. That's just the reality. And as Christians, we need to know that we are salt and light because who you are affects where you are. Where you are. Where you are. In your homes, in your workplaces, even as we go to vote, it will affect the trajectory of where we are and even how to, we respond after we vote. That affects the direction of our nation. As individuals and as a church and as God's people, we be salt and light wherever God plants us. We pray that you are encouraged by this message. For more information about ICS Church, please visit us online at ics.church or like us on facebook.com slash ICS Church.